this series has been saying, here are the beliefs that we have. Here are the core doctrines that we have as Christians. And if, if you're not a Christian, this is a great uh, series to really explore what is it that Christianity teaches. You want to know uh, what the faith is, what Christians believe. And so it's, it's a great series to do that. But we've also been saying it's a great series in order to actually be shaped by the beliefs that we have. So if you are a Christian, we don't want to just say, yes, I believe these things, check, check, but to actually say, how does this shape my life? How does this influence my life? How does this lead my life in a way that, that is designed the way that God would have things be? How does it shape and strengthen me and my relationships and my marriage and my family and my community? How does it actually shape my life? How does it lead to growth in me and for me? And, and, and what that is saying, and I, I've been saying that all along, what that is saying is this, Christian belief it's not something that's just supposed to stay here, but it's supposed to, I've heard others say, it's supposed to, theology, our beliefs, it's supposed to come out our fingertips, meaning it's supposed to live through us into all of the different things. And the Christian life doesn't end when you receive faith. It doesn't end just with, I believe. That's not where it ends. That's where it begins. God wants to give you more. God wants to actually influence and affect and change your whole life. How would you describe your faith right now? Would you say it's strong? Would you say that it's passionate? Would you say that it's stale? Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and it's just kind of, yeah, it exists. Would you say that it's stuck? There's areas you, you want to make progress in, you want to move forward in, but you feel stuck. Would you say it's just in an exploring stage and non-existent, or maybe even how would you describe your life? Not just your faith, but because your faith is supposed to affect your life, how would you describe your, your life, your marriage, and your emotional health, and your joy, and certain things like patience, and kindness, and sin? Like, where are things at for you right now? Christianity is not just a set of rituals or beliefs, but it gives a whole life. It gives a whole life. God wants to and can affect and change your whole life. And I know we haven't even really begun, but don't you want that? Don't you want what God can do to affect your whole life? Don't you want it to be true that it's not just, yes, I believed in this moment, but rather who God is and what he's done can actually touch every area of your life? Don't you want that? I know I, I do. I don't want a life that only I can create. I want a life that comes from and flows from who God is and what he's done. That's the life that I want. I don't, maybe you don't care, so I don't know. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Sometimes it's hard, just blank stares. Like, I don't know, I don't want that. I just want you to finish. Okay, all right. Well, that's what I want. I'll just preach like this. Here we go. No. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's what we're talking about today. And the doctrine that this is kind of under is called sanctification. Sanctification, or the doctrine of, of Christian growth. Sanctification. So let's explore this together, starting with just what is Sanctification. What is sanctification? God's intent 
is not only to save you from death. And there's so much that I can't get into and say that we've already covered. Justification and what it means to be a Christian and who God is and the work that Jesus did. There's a lot that I can't kind of retouch on all those aspects. But it is true that God saves us from death. That our sins deserve death. God says, I'm I'm not okay with that. I'm going to save you. Sends Jesus to die in our place for our sins. But it's not only that God wants to save you from death, but that he wants to save you to life. He wants to give to you a whole life. Here's what the Bible says. It says, therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. means if you are connected to Jesus, if you are united to Jesus because of what he's done, his death becomes your death. Your old life is put to death. Your sins are put to death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So Jesus wants your sins to be killed. But not just the end, but so that, just as Jesus was raised, you may have a new life. That is what he desires to give to you. Or another way that the Bible speaks of this is when it says this, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Now this word holiness, that it's the same root word in holiness that is the same word in sanctification. Because holiness and sanctification, it's really the same kind of root word that's in there, means to be separate or to cut away from one thing and to put it over here. If you had... Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but there's the good part of the steak, the best part of the steak, the guy that's going to be Steve, if some of you know him, he's going to be teaching on how to make the perfect steak, and he will be eating it in front of us and going, yes, this is how you do it. Go home and do it. There will also be a demonstration and a, a participation, but there's a good, the best part of the steak. It's called the spatula or something. I don't know. What's it called, Steve? Spinalis, okay, whatever. If you've never heard that word, that's because someone's been holding out on you and you've never had the best part of the steak. So the spinalis, if you want to cut that away and separate it, that's what sanctification is. It's saying this part I'm separating. This part is for something special. This part is sacred, holy, sanctified, all of that. Same thing. It's separating it, cutting it away for special use. So when the Bible says that he chose us, and this is all this is the stuff we talked about last week, he saves us, he chooses us for what? To be cut away, to be separate for him, for something special. That's what sanctification is. It's we are set apart for him. You are set apart. You are God's spinalis. That's what you are if you're saved. Now, when we talk about sanctification and this idea of new life and being separate or set apart or cut away for God. Sometimes people can think language like that of I'm set apart, I'm, I'm for God, I have a new life. Sometimes people can think, and, and whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, oh, that's kind of legalistic and it's just talking about all these things that we're supposed to do instead of what God's done and grace and Maybe sometimes you might even think, I I don't really need that. I'm kind of good where I'm at in my life. Maybe you might feel in yourself, you know, I I just kind of believe as long as I love people, 
no one really has any right to tell other people how they should live. And as long as I'm not hurting anybody, then as long as I live my life just trying to do the best, like that, that's kind of all that matters. And we shouldn't really think about being set apart or new life and what that looks like. You might even think, if I, if I start to try to understand what is the new life that God has for me, you might think, that's going to hurt me. It's going to take away my freedom. It's, gonna, it's not going to be as appealing as the life that I could carve out for myself. You might think those things. But the reality is when God says, I want to separate you, I want to have a new life for you, I haven't just saved you in this moment, but I have a whole life for you that I desire, that is good. God's not trying to hurt you. He has good in mind for you. If you were here when we studied Ephesians, it uses these different language all throughout the book, but this is just one section I wanted to show you where he, he talks about this idea of sanctification with these three kind of different uh, metaphors or, or ways of speaking where he says it's to build up the body of Christ. This language of being built, and he'll talk about even in a building metaphor. Some of you have built things. Some of you are working on home projects or you've, you've built certain uh, tables or you've, you, you like to build stuff, maybe just Legos, okay? You've, you've built stuff and you like that. And the idea is no one just wants to go, yeah, you know, hey, everyone, come on over. I want to show you what I did. What'd you do? And there's just a bunch of lumber on your, you know, ground from Home Depot. And you're like, isn't this cool? No, no, you want to show them after you've completed, I built a dining room table. Or you want to show them, look, I remodeled this thing because... The intent is that something is built up. Some of you maybe have hired people to build something for you. Some of you have remodeled a home, or and it's gone a lot slower than you wanted it to go. And you haven't been like, eh, it doesn't really matter. Like if the builders just showed up and they're like, yeah, we nailed a couple things and we're done. You go, that, that's not the intent. I want it to be built up so that it can fully be everything it was meant to be. So I love that he uses that language for our sanctification. God wants to build your life into what it's supposed to be. He doesn't want you to just be a bunch of, a pile of wood. He wants you to be a house. He wants you to be a temple. Or he uses this language of growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So he wants you to experience the fullness of who God is, of who Jesus is. Now, do you know some of what God is like? Yeah, I know God's loving. I know God's caring. I know God's a just God. I know he's a patient God. I know he's kind. I know there's things about God that you know and that you've experienced, right? But you haven't experienced the fullness of who God is. None of us have because God's infinite. And he says, I want you to experience, to grow into maturity measured by Christ's fullness. I want you to know all that he is, not just a little bit. I mean, don't you want that? Or then he uses language saying, then we will no longer be little children, which is to say that God wants us to grow up, not to stay little babies. You know, babies are awesome, right? Everybody loves cute little babies and one-year-olds and two-year-olds, but no one, if you have a baby and, and they're, they're 10 years old and they're still in diapers, no one's going to say, oh, how old's your baby? That's so cute, Right? You're going to say something is wrong. Something is stunted significantly. You don't want a 15-year-old that still has a pacifier, right? That's weird. It's not cool and trendy. If you're like, no, it's awesome. I saw it on TikTok. No, it's stupid, okay? <laughs> so you don't, 
there, there's more, there's maturity, there's adulthood, not just staying as a child. This is what God's vision for us. So when the Bible talks about sanctification, it's this being set away, it's this being cut apart, this newness of life. And sometimes we can be afraid of that and go, I'd rather stay in the life that I'm in. But God's vision is, no, I want to build you into what you were designed to be. I want to give you the fullness of life with me. I want you to grow and not stay as a child. God is good and wants good for us, and he gives it to us. That's what sanctification is. So where are you at in your faith? Where are you at in your marriage, in your family, with your joy, with certain sins and struggles that you've had, with your anger? Where where are you at in dealing with hurt and suffering in your life? What if you were able to experience growth and fullness and being built up and maturity? Don't, Don't you want God's vision? That's what sanctification is. Secondly, let's look at when does sanctification happen? That's what God desires. That's what it is. That's the, the fact is we can grow. When does sanctification happen? When do we grow? And there is an initial moment when sanctification takes place. So the Bible says there's an, an, a moment in time, similar to what we talked about last week. It's kind of in line with regeneration, which is you are brought from death to life. There's a, there's a moment in time that you are sanctified, set apart. So there's a one aspect of sanctification that is talking about this momentary existence where God says, boom, you are sanctified. I've cut you apart. You are for me. The Bible talks about this in several different ways, and I can't get into all this, but I just want to show you this. But he says, do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, swindlers, will inherit God's kingdom. He's just going through kind of all these lists of sins and saying, none of those people will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, saying, that's what the church is. You used to be in this place, but you were washed, you were sanctified. I mean, there was a moment, that is who you were. You can't look at all those people and just say how stupid they are. You, that's who you were, that was your resume, and you were sanctified. God cut you apart, God set you apart. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is speaking of a moment, an initial moment. Or, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. So it's speaking of all Christians collectively saying they are sanctified. They have been set apart. They've been cut away. They are holy. So there's a moment when sanctification happens. An initial cut away from the rule, the power, the love of the previous life. There's a moment in time when that takes place. Sometimes people feel like this. I'm always going to be the same. I'm never going to change. They feel like this is just kind of how things will always be. Maybe even say, nobody's perfect. This is just kind of what life is going to be. I'm, you know, we're all humans. But we should not live with a defeat mentality, with a defeatist mentality. We should not live thinking this is just kind of what my life is always going to look like. Because the Bible says you are sanctified. There was a previous life. You are now separate. 
set apart, which it will also then say things like this. You are free. You used to be slaves of sin. You used to be a slave of sin. You obeyed. I love how it says this. You obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. It means it's not like you hated it, maybe some parts, but you, you loved. You obeyed from the heart. You said, yes, I want to live this. This is good. The teaching that you'd received, that you were handed over. But having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. So we should not live with a, nobody's perfect. I'm just probably always going to be like this. That's a slavery mentality that says, I can't change. The Bible says, no, you've been set apart. You've been sanctified. Now you've become a slave to righteousness. You've been set free from the power, from the love in your heart, and now been freed to obey from the heart. Jesus, you are a new person. You're a new person. If you're a Christian, you are a new person with new power. You're not the same. You are not a slave. That is who you are. Now listen, I know some of you might say, but I'm, I'm stuck and I'm struggling. And we'll talk about a little bit of that. But that, that's not who you are if you're a Christian. You've been set free. Sometimes in uh, you know, certain superhero movies, I'm thinking of Spider-Man, but other movies, when they kind of first get their powers, they're a new person now. And they've got this new power to live a new life. And usually along with it comes new motivation. How do I use this power? What can I do with this? With great power comes great responsibility, right? And they, and they try to figure out how, okay, the direction of my life is different now. You have a new power. You've been sanctified. You are a new human. You are not a slave to sin if you're a Christian. Do not live with a defeatist mentality. That is the initial act of sanctification. When does sanctification happen? There's an initial moment when that happens. But there's also an aspect of sanctification that is the increasing being sanctified. The Bible will speak of it in both ways. It'll speak of it in a decisive moment, and it will speak of it in you are ongoingly growing in how set apart you are for God and his purposes. Let me give you a few ways the Bible speaks of this. It will say, then just as you have received Christ, so just as you've received him, this moment of faith, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up. There's that build language again. In him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Something happened to you, you received, but now keep going. Continue to walk in him. It shouldn't be that the moment of salvation is it. It should be the beginning, not the end. Just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity, that's how you used to live, and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. So saying you used to have these degrees, greater and greater, so that's this progress language, greater and greater lawlessness, greater and greater disobedience in your life to who God is. That's what it used to look like. In the same way, now we should have greater and greater offering of our life to God in righteousness. That's sanctification, speaking of it in a different way. Or this says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord 
and are being transformed. We look at God's glory, we look at who Jesus is, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So you are being transformed as you look at who God is. You're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. You are being transformed. There's an initial act of transformation, and then you are slowly, degree after degree, being changed, being transformed. So the Bible has a lot of this language about sanctification that is about this increasing measure of sanctification, increasing degrees of transformation. This is very helpful. I'm going to tell you a few different ways this is helpful. First of all, sometimes we want instant transformation. We don't like the fact that we are not automatically, immediately different. And it can be very discouraging. Why am I not totally different? Why do I still struggle with this? Why is this still a part of my life? To remember that sanctification happens from one degree to another degree, that transformation continues, that there's a continuing learning, a continuing walking that takes place, helps us say, God is patient with me. God is patient with me. Now, I'm not saying that to say, excuse it, and just say, yeah, one day I'll get to this. I'm not saying that. But when you want to change, you want to grow, but you're discouraged, it's helpful to remember, God knows this is not an immediate moment in time thing where everything is, you are fully as glorious as you'll ever be. There's a degrees of transformation. It helps encourage us when we are frustrated, when we feel like it should be going faster. There is a lot wrong with you. So it'll take a while for God to sanctify all of it, Okay? So that's encouraging. Like it, it's going to take some time, you know. Second, it gives us hope because the areas that you are frustrated, the areas where you feel like, man, I, I, this is just, it's, I, I want to grow, I want to change. It gives you hope that the Bible says it will change. You will change. It will not stay the same. You will not stay the same. You will change. God is committed to you. God's committed to you. He is not going to say, listen, I, I, I don't know how many times I've had to tell you. You obviously don't get it. See you later. God is committed to you. He is patient, and he is committed to you. Now, third, this helps us, because if there are degrees of increasing, increasing measure of sanctification, it means this. We should be seeing change in us. We should be seeing change in us. So the other truths might help if you want to change and you're not experiencing the growth that you want to remember God's patient with me, God's committed to me. But it's also important to know we should, if the Bible holds out that sanctification happens through your life from one degree to the next, we should be seeing progress in our life. I'll say it like this. Something is very wrong. Something is broken. If you're not seeing progress, the same way, again, back to the previous metaphors, that if you saw a baby that didn't grow at all, you would say, I need to take it to the doctor. What's happened? Something is developmentally not going as it should go. If you, when you first have a baby, a lot of times you take it into the doctor at various checkpoints. 
you see, okay, are they hearing the way they're supposed to hear? Are they seeing the way they're supposed to hear? Then as time goes on, are they, are they walking? Are they talking? Are they reading? Are they, there's all these kind of, and if nothing stayed the same, if you had an 11-year-old that still wasn't walking and taught, you would say, obviously, something isn't working the way it's supposed to work. Something's broken. The Bible says, yes, you should be growing. That's how sanctification is supposed to happen. There's supposed to be these degrees of change that are taking place, and something is very wrong in your life if that's not happening. You should either question the initial moment of sanctification and say, have I actually put my faith in God? Have I actually trusted what Jesus has done, or do I just know the facts and I just kind of know it's true and I've been in church and I just kind of say, yeah, I believe in God, or have I actually put my trust in him? You should question. And if you have, then you should repent, which means to change for your apathy or carelessness or lack of seriousness around changing. The norm in the Christian life is sanctification. It is one degree to the next degree. One degree to the next degree. That is the norm pattern of the Christian life. This is a a graph from a theologian, Wayne Grudem, that's helpful. If you're not a Christian, you're in this, I'm a slave to sin. You You become a Christian, that's the first step. And then the Christian life is this. And it's kind of jagged up and down because it might be, one week's better than one week and another week. Like, it doesn't mean that every single day it, there's ups and there's downs, but it's generally going like this. And then you get perfect holiness. But you're generally moving in this direction. If it's not, something is wrong. The same way, again, with a baby, right? With a child, you would expect maybe from 13 to 16, there were some bad years and someone kind of reverted a little bit. And man, you used to be such a good reader when you were 13, then 16, ah, and then it changed. Like, of course, yes. But you wouldn't expect that it's just kind of flatlined. There should be an up and to the right growth where you are changing. That is the norm of the Christian life. And I'm emphasizing this because I do think in our day of Christianity, In our, in 2023, in Arvada, in Denver, it's more common that people would say, you know what, nobody's perfect, and I I don't think I'll ever change, and that's just kind of how it is. It's more likely that we believe that lie than it is, I should be perfect the day I became a Christian. I talked to somebody once that did say, I am perfect, I don't sin anymore. I was like, well, you just did, congratulations, buddy. You're a liar and proud, that's two you know? But that's way less common. It's way more common for people to kind of live thinking, yeah, I'm just basically going to be sinful for a long, 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 long time and, and not really change much. That's more common. But that's not what our expectation should be. In fact, sometimes when we talk about Uh, You know, we're all sinners and we're all going to be sanctified. Even we can have a wrong mentality of what that means. Because the reality is this. Your sanctification should lead to the place over time. If you just became a Christian, you should be growing. But hear this. as As you have grown as a Christian, you should be in a place where you are free of conscious, willful sins. You should and could get to that place. 
Let me show you how Wayne Grudem says this. As Christians grow in maturity, the kinds of sin, the kinds of sin that remain in their lives are often not so much sins of words or deeds that are outwardly noticeable to others, but inward sins of attitudes and motives of the heart. Desires such as pride and selfishness, lack of courage or faith, lack of zeal in loving God with our whole hearts and our neighbors as ourselves, and failure to fully trust God for all that he promises in every situation. These are real sins. However, recognizing the nature of these sins helps to guard against misunderstanding when we say that no one will be perfect and free from sin in this life. Many mature Christians at many times during the day are free from conscious or willful acts of disobedience to God in their words or their deeds. We don't hear enough of that. We hear more. We're all just sinners. Everybody's probably stuck in some kind of sin. That's not God's vision for your life. It doesn't mean you will be perfected yet. That's the top of the graph. doesn't mean that, but it does mean you should be able to get to a place where you are actually free of conscious, willful words and deeds of sin. There is an increasing measure that is the norm for the Christian life. We should expect lots of sanctification. That's what we should expect. And if that's not happening, we should say something is broken, something's off, and seek to address it. We'll get to that in the next part. When does sanctification happen? There's an initial moment. There's an increasing measure that takes place. And then I already showed you the graph. But then there's a finishing aspect of it. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Speaking of Jesus. Saying there is a moment when you will perfectly bear the image of Christ. You will bear it fully. And you already have it, but there's a moment that's coming when that will happen fully, perfectly. That's the top of the graph. When you won't grow anymore. When you won't struggle anymore at all. Whether external, internal, conscious, unconscious. You will be fully transformed one day. And what a, what a great day that'll be. To be able to say no more conflict with anybody. No more doubt of God. No more selfishness. No more, is my motive pure totally or is it kind of off? No more anger, no more gossip, no more impatience, just total freedom. What a day. That will happen. That will take place. What Jesus starts, he will finish. What Jesus begins, he will complete. Now, let me just say one thing before we move on to the next point. If you understand that sanctification happens with a God that is patient with you, is committed to you, is gracious to you when you sin, if you believe that's how God is to you, wouldn't that change how we interact with one another? Because aren't we so often when someone sins against us, like, I can't believe it! Instead of, yeah, they're being sanctified, I'm being sanctified, of course I'm going to be sinned against. Wouldn't it give us a deeper patience with other people's struggles? To say, yeah, I, I'm not saying that it's okay that they're sinning, but I'm, I'm patient with them. I know that God's working on them. Wouldn't it give us a deeper commitment to people to say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to give up on you. I know God's working on you. I'm, I'm there for you too. The more that you understand how God is sanctifying you 
in a moment, but over time, the more that we reflect that to one another, and it changes our, our approach with each other's sanctification process. Now, how does sanctification happen? Or how do we grow? This really has two key aspects to it. The first is that God works on us. God does things to us. The Bible will even say things like this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May God sanctify you. God does stuff to you to grow you and change you. Or it will say, from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. God sanctifies you. He does this work in your life. Or, again, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, saying Jesus becomes your sanctification. Because you are united to him, his holiness, his perfection, he is your sanctification. So there is this aspect of sanctification where we say, how does it happen? And it's that God is working on you. And there's different ways to understand that. There's the union that we have with Jesus where we're united to him. So his record's our record. There is the aspect of just saying that God's Holy Spirit is empowering you to be able to change and do these things. So it's not that you're on your own. It's not that you're alone. It's not that God says you're free from sin. You're free from that slavery. Go figure it out. But he says, I'm with you. I'm empowering you. I'm giving you the abilities. I'm giving you the desires. I'm working in you and on you. So the Holy Spirit is active, changing us, empowering us. You, you can be sanctified and change and grow, not because you're so great, but because he is working with you. You're not alone. He is present with you, guiding you, teaching you, creating in you what you need. So God works. But that's not all. Sometimes people stop there. Sometimes people will even use language like, there's nothing I can do. There's an area of their life that they need to change. There's an area of life where they need to be different in their marriage, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, with their friends, with certain sin struggles that you're stuck in, with certain mistrust of God that you just wrestle with in the middle of your suffering or difficulty of life, and you say, there's nothing I can do. Or you say, it's all God. I need God to do it. It's just, just got to let go and let God. Just got to leave it to him. And that is wrong. That is not true. Sanctification happens through God's work, but it also happens through our work. We participate with God in his work. It's not the same as justification. Or salvation, where God does something decisively for us in Jesus, and we do nothing. We just receive it. It is different. Sanctification has a partnership with God, a cooperation with God. And in some sense, the whole Bible is about this. Anytime that God would give you a command, that is saying, it's not, if, if God says, don't lie, you say, well, God, you're going to have to do that. No, I'm telling you to do that. There's, so in some sense, all the parts of the Bible I could put in there, but I want to show you some that specifically hit this idea. 
If you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now you kind of see the combination here. By the Spirit you put to death, you will live. So they're kind of both there. By the Spirit, empowering you, encouraging you, strengthening you, giving you the ability. But it also says, you put to death. Or, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more, even more obedience, in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out your salvation. That means you've been saved. Now work out the implications. Live in line with that. With fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purposes. So there's something for you to do. Work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, but work it out. Because God is working in you. There's this partnership that you see. Put to death by the Spirit. Work out your salvation because God's working in you. These verses really kind of show the, the combination. But there's other verses that help us even just see more of our work. Dear friends, since we have these promises, the good things that God has done for us, let us cleanse ourselves. And that might sound, well, you can't cleanse yourself. Only God can cleanse you. But it's speaking about sanctification and your work in that process. Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. How are you going to bring holiness, sanctification to completion? Cleanse yourself. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Jesus has done something for me. He's taken hold of me. He's made me his own. So what do I do? I make every effort to then take hold of what he's done for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. So he's not saying I'm perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. He's talking about making every effort, moving forward. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses saying all the Christians that have come before us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's comparing the Christian life and your pursuit of holiness and sanctification as a race and you laying aside these things that would cling to you. If you have ever, uh, you know, th this is written in an you know, ancient kind of Greco-Roman world and a lot of the Olympics in Greece, they would do a lot of that stuff naked. So take your clothes off and run. Get rid of anything that would slow you down. Any sin, and that's not like a real application right now, okay? Some of you are like, all right, let's go. This is not Nelly, okay? So lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance. Rather, train yourself in godliness. The training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself in godliness. Train yourself. See, all of this language, run, train yourself, reach forward for the prize, make every effort. And I'll give you this last one, Second Peter. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So you've got faith, but now make every effort 
Supplement it with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got the knowledge of Jesus, but are you useless? His word's not mine. You've got the knowledge of Jesus. Are you unfruitful? The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted, has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you do do these things, you will never stumble. And just in a short, one of the best theologians that we have says this, sanctification is a lifelong process that involves an enormous amount of intensive labor. So sanctification is God's work, yes. But it is our work that we partner with God in. You cannot read the Bible and think, it's just God, he just has to do it. You cannot read the Bible and think, ah, don't kind of tell me what to do or how to live my life. It's just, you know, we can never change and it's just kind of how it's always going to be. You can't read the Bible and see that. It uses so much language calling us to make every effort, to run the race, to train in godliness. Where do you put effort in your life right now? Some people put effort into crazy things. I'm going to collect every Pokemon card that ever exists, you know. Sorry if that's you. I'm going to collect all the Beanie Babies or whatever, right? Some people put effort into crazy things. Some people put effort into their bodies, and people put effort into their house. And people put a lot of effort into their fun and hobbies. And there's all sorts of things that we put effort into. Your business and your job. Right? We, we put effort. We know how to put effort into the things we care about. But it's easy to neglect this and think, just God. When the Bible calls us to participate with God and not forget what he's done. God wants to shape all of your life, all of your life. Even in, this is just one little passage, but I think it, it helps just to see how there's these different things, goodness, knowledge, that's more maybe the things that you know, self-control, endurance, how you live, but also your emotions, brotherly affection and love. It affects your head and your heart, your hands, affects your relationships, affects everything. God wants to affect and change all of your life, all of it. And he can, and he wants to. And let me ask you this, what is your posture? What's your posture to growth, to change? When you look at all the different areas in your life, all your stuff you know, your emotional life, how you are living, your relationships, marriage, family, friendship, etc., work relationships. When you look at all that stuff, what is your posture? Is it passive? Is it apathetic? Eh, just kind of where I'm at. Is it resigned? I'm always going to be like this. Things won't change. Is it managing? How can I maybe just tweak this a little bit or make it not so uncomfortable for me? 
God wants you to have a posture of aggressive growth. I think many Christians struggle with the sin of contentment. There is a godly contentment where you are thankful for where God's put you and able to receive it as a gift, but that there should not be a spiritual contentment where you are fine to just stay where you are. The posture that God gives to us, you cannot, I mean, think about all the language where it's spiritual battles, races, training. I mean, it's drawing from all these metaphors of war, sports, building, to say there should be an aggressive posture towards our death. The Bible talks about putting things to death. Those are all pretty intense things. What is your posture? This is not an extra thing. It's not like, okay, that's for pastors or that's for the really mature Christians or that's for, this is not kind of some like extra seasoning. This is what we are called to as Christians. You have been freed and we're called to live out that freedom. What does it mean to work? Sanctification is God's work and our work. What does it actually mean to do that work? And there's all sorts of things I could tell you. I think this is a helpful a diagram from a, a man named David Paulson. And he talked, this is, you could put sanctification in here, but how we change. Truth changes you. Wise people, our community changes us. God changes you. Suffering and struggle change you. And I could show you kind of verses around all this stuff too, but I think the point is the way that, if, if sanctification is God's work and our work, well, how do we actually do that work? Part of it is we respond and receive these things. You respond to the truth that you receive. You respond with when wise people bring God's voice into your life. You respond as suffering and challenges come into you. You respond by letting that grow you and, and relying upon God. You respond as God is changing you, as God says, this is wrong, don't do this, as the Holy Spirit is leading you, and that you, you receive that and you respond to that. That is how we grow. This is the category of things like spiritual disciplines and community and Sunday. You are receiving, it's on you, you're receiving truth. It's on you to respond to that, to receive it, to have an open heart, and then to respond to it. If you're in a community group, you, you are receiving godly voices in your life. It's on you to respond, to receive that, and then respond to that. As you face different trials, and God speaks to you and assures you, you're, it's on you to receive that and respond in line with that. This is why reading the Bible, prayer, being here on Sundays, so important. You're putting yourself in a place where you are receiving and responding to God's work. It's also, if you're on our newsletter, there's many different spiritual disciplines or practices. One of them that often is not practiced but is very important is fasting. And if uh, you're on our newsletter, we announced every year we do, uh, two, two times a year we do a fast, which is a spiritual discipline where we are coming to God and saying, I want you to work in my life. I want more sanctification in my life. If you didn't get the newsletter, you can sign up for that. It begins tomorrow. Just go to bit.ly slash formed23 for Jordan. No, I'm just joking. <clears throat> you can be spiritually like Jordan. <clears throat> That's one of the spiritual disciplines that we can say, God, I want you. H how does this work happen? There's all sorts of different means that God uses but we must receive and respond. 
All right, final thing. Why should we pursue sanctification? Here's why this is important. Think about, think about just an area, okay, of your life where you go, I know I need growth in here. You probably know. Might be head stuff, emotional stuff, life stuff, how you relate to God, how you relate to other people. Just think about an area, okay? Now, why do you want to grow in that area? What's the reason? Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we know we should grow. Sometimes we know we should be sanctified, but we don't actually, what, what's the motivation? It might be, well, I just want to be a better person or just kind of want to do the right thing. Or maybe we're not even motivated. It's like, I know I should do this, but I don't really want to. It's spiritual broccoli or whatever, you know, spiritual alfalfa or something gross, you know, where you're like, I, I know I should eat that, but I don't really want to. But we need motivation. If you don't have motivation, you will stay stuck. That's true in every area of your life. You need motivation. That's why uh, with fitness, a lot of times they show you the before and after pictures, right? So you're like, oh, crap, I'm the before guy. I want to be the after guy, you know? They're trying to give you motivation. We need motivation. And listen, God knows that. God knows that we need motivation to grow and change. God knows that we need motivation. Sometimes you might think it's holy to have no motivation. Like, I just need to do the right thing, just to do the right thing, the end, done. That's not how the Bible works. It actually gives us lots of motivation. And I'm just going to go back to this one that we already looked at in 2 Peter. But he says, so that through them you may share in the divine nature. And then he talked about the being useless and unfruitful. And I could point you to all sorts of different motivations. But even just that is like, the more that you are growing, you are participating in God's nature. That kind of goes back to that fullness aspect. I get to know him more, be in line with him more. And man, I don't want to be useless. I don't want to be unfruitful. I want the things that God has done for me to have a use in my life, to, have, to produce in my life. Same theologian I showed you before. I'll skip that part. But he, he lists out 11 different motivations in the Bible for obedience and sanctification. And I think these are just helpful. I'm not going to go through all the, he has you know, scripture verses that he quotes for all these. I won't do that, but I just want to show these to you because some of them you probably haven't thought about. And they're helpful to go, and the Bible actually motivates us to please God and express our love for him. Obey, be sanctified. Why? So that you can please God and show him that you love him. To keep a clear conscience before God. To not be writhing in guilt and shame. And man, my conscience is clear before God. That, that's a great motivation. To be a vessel for noble use. That's kind of the fruitfulness and usefulness. I, I want to be useful to God. To see unbelievers come to know Jesus. That the more our life reflects God, the more people will come to God. To receive blessings from God. God blesses when we obey him. I want that. To avoid God's displeasure and discipline. To seek greater heavenly reward. The desire for a deeper walk with God. Just, I want to be closer to him. The angels would glorify God. I bet you've never obeyed because you're like, angels, check this out. I bet you've never done that. Maybe this week there's going to be a thing and you're like, I don't know if I want to obey. Oh, but the angels, man, I'm going to lead them to worship. The desire for peace and joy. Simply because we know God's commands are right and we delight in this. And I would add a 12th, especially all throughout the book of Proverbs, it will say things like this. He who is wise is wise for himself. 
And I always call this a holy selfishness, which is just to say God knows what he's talking about. And so when we obey him, generally, life's going to go better. If you're wise and obey God, you're wise for yourself in the sense of it's going to be better for your life. These are a lot of different motivations to obey God. And God gives us these motivations to, to help us. So where is it that you need motivation to obey, to change, to grow? Take one of these, take two of these even, and just remember them in your mind, in your heart. And this week, as you seek to grow and be sanctified, remember these motives. Use them on your heart. We want change in our life. I don't think any of us just is saying, I want to stay the same forever. We want change. We want to grow. We want to experience God's vision and the better that he has for us. We want that. And God wants it for you. And God gives it to you. And you can experience it more and more. If you're not a Christian, the initial moment of sanctification that God wants to give you is to be cut and set apart, dead to your sin and alive to him. That happens as you put your trust in Jesus and what he's done for you. If you are a Christian, as God has saved you, we then bring our whole life to him where we more fully experience what he saved us for. You do not have to be stuck, to be resigned, to stay where you are in your faith, in your relationships, in whatever it is. You don't have to live a mediocre life. You don't have to miss out. God has more for you, and you can have that. That is what he wants for you. When we take communion, which if you didn't grab uh, in the back, those little communion cups, and communion is a time that Christians remember. Jesus had his body broken for me. He had his blood shed for me to cleanse me from my sin, to die in my place, the death I should die, and to save me, not just here, but to save me into a whole life to experience life with him, life set apart with him. And so as you take communion, I want you to confess your sin. Maybe what you need to confess is a lack of making every effort in growing. Confess your sin to Jesus. Remember that he's cleansed you. Remember that he's forgiven you. And then ask him to help you not be useless and unfruitful in the work he's done for you. But to live experiencing that in all the areas of your life. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants to give to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sanctify us. That you call us to yourself that you cut us away from a life of death and slavery and you bring us into newness of life with you. May we receive that. May we experience that more and more. God, I pray for anybody here that feels stuck and feels like they can't move forward, that you would break that lie in their heart. Anyone that feels powerless or has been told or bought into some ideology that says, this is just how it's going to be. Break that lot. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk with you just as we have received you to walk with you, to put to death by your spirit 
anything in us that's not from you. God, deepen these truths in our hearts and let us respond and worship to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.